if we kind of normalize it from a child level or you know from that age if we start yeah. normalizing that chat then they're going to grow up aren't they you know as adults who think you know what not everyone's the same and that's okay hi i'm brooke Melhouse. welcome to disabled and proud the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin each week the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability why they're proud to be disabled and why they're proud to be themselves Hello Aoife, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on and giving up time to be on the podcast today. I'm, I always say this, but I'm really genuinely looking forward to this chat because I've never had one of these podcasts where I haven't learned something. Yeah. And considering disability is so widespread and it's so individual, I learn all the time and I can't wait to learn something new today. So here we are. Here we are. That's it. You are right, though. It is. It's such a wide spectrum, isn't it, between you know invisible and visible disabilities. Um, you know, and I think that sort of it's mad because we can, we judge books by covers so regularly. I myself do it very easily in like mm. everyday life. You know, oh, I'm sure they'll be fine to do that. I'm sure they'll be fine to do this or whatever. Yeah. And you just don't know what what is going on for other people, really, do you? And it just teaches you. I think living with conditions, you know, that we we both live with. Um, I think teach you to be more kind doesn't it and to be more understanding yeah massively more understanding actually because I think what's so interesting about disability it isn't see like everybody seems to think it's this massive monolith and actually it's not like disability is very much an umbrella term that houses so many different things so many different spectrums and you're right when it comes to especially like visible versus invisible disabilities what we can't see we don't know and I think sometimes human nature, because you can't see it, you don't understand it. And it's not until someone has to explain to you exactly why that you're, you you go back and you're like, oh, OK, that makes a bit more sense. And yeah. oh, OK, like I can I can see in like my mind how that doesn't work, but I don't necessarily see it physically. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, it d- definitely does. And I feel like it's a double edged sword sometimes with having something invisible um, mm. because most people will just assume, again, that judge book by cover, um, you know, theory that you're fine. And yeah. kind of because it, it's, it's unseen, it's very, very hard, I think. And look, I don't blame anyone for that because that's just like human nature. Isn't it? It's very hard for someone to understand yeah. something that they can't see. So, um, so yeah, I do find that a double-edged sword because sometimes I like the fact that it's quite hidden and, you know, no one would ever know and that works in my favour at times. Yeah. Um, and then other times I find it really hard to get people to like fully understand exactly what I'm going through, so. Yeah, this is actually the most seamless transition ever because I like to ask everybody before we start, how do you refer to your disability? Yeah. Um, as in how would I describe it or how, how do you relate to it how do you talk about it also in sometimes how do you identify yourself do you say a disabled person or I'm a person with a disability and just how you refer to it because I think as I said everybody refers to their disability and talks about their disabilities so completely individually and it's so different for everyone and I always want to get that across is that just because someone is disabled doesn't mean that they will relate to their disability in the same way another disabled person will. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, again, because mine's invisible, it's not something that necessarily needs to be brought up or yeah. or does get brought up straight away. You know, um, I think if it was something more, yeah, 
visible um I think mm-hmm. somebody might might ask me about it before I I will bring it up maybe or maybe yeah. I would naturally feel like it's the elephant in the room and have to say something to address it so yeah. because mine is quite invisible it doesn't come up in conversation with you know sort of strangers half mm-hmm. as quick as maybe it would with you know people that that, I, that know me um I but I am very very open with with talking about it and I do yeah. refer to it as, as a disability um you know it's it's bladder failure effectively so mm-hmm. a, a disability of, of an organ and that's sort of how I would describe it really and I would say it in very layman's terms I just can't pee and you know <laughs> it works but I just can't pee so yeah. I wouldn't go in with any kind of big um medical you know diagnoses to to people that sort of didn't understand if I was explaining it to somebody I'd say you know it's an invisible disability and then I can't be and I think stretching and and challenging those those realms around um having a disability doesn't mean you're not enabled you know the the fact that my bladder doesn't work and, and it disables me well actually it also enables me to do so much more with my life because I do feel like I'm pushing boundaries all the time, um, yeah. especially with what I'm trying to do online and, and changing within the NHS. And, you know, I'm, I'm fighting um, a lot at the minute with, with a cause to do with chronic health and bladder condition mm-hmm. um, that, that just sort of isn't out there enough. So I feel like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't do that if I didn't have a disability. So, you know, with, yeah. with my bladder. So actually it's enabled me to do so much more with my life than maybe I, I would have if I didn't have it yeah and so from my research that I have done oh I feel really like clever when I say that (laughs) I believe I believe I'm right in saying that you have Fowler's syndrome is that how I pronounce it yes that's right Fowler's syndrome and I obviously had never heard of this before because funnily enough not every single disabled person knows every single disability under the sun that's also a massive lie that people love love to throw out there oh like just because you have a hand missing must mean you know someone with spina bifida well it's not really how it works like we're not all put into one big club but I'd love to talk to you about this a bit more because I have a very very basic understanding and my basic understanding is exactly what you said is that you can't pee so I'm going to pass it over to you because I don't want to look like I don't know anything because I want to learn so please talk to me all about Fowler syndrome Okay, well, Fowler's syndrome is um, a chronic retention based illness. So my body retains the fluid in my bladder mm-hmm. rather than letting it go. Um, so at the age of 16, I stopped being able to wee. Um, I literally sat on the toilet and wee wouldn't come out. So it was as, as bizarre and as on hard hitting and sort of quick onset, you know, as that. It just happened. Yeah. Um, uh, usually get Fowler's secondary to something else. So everyone has a different background really with Fowler's. Um, yeah. You know, it, it happens because of something else that's gone wrong with your body or, or an illness subsequent, uh, uh, previous to Fowler's, you then develop Fowler's. Yeah. And the condition is a, is a woman only condition. Um, it only really affects women. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So I had glandular fever and shingles uh, at 16. So I wasn't an ill child ever. I'd gone through most of my life with just coughs Mm and colds, you know, small things like that. And then I ended up developing um, glandular fever and shingles in hospital at 16. The shingles came up around my my groin area. So they do Mm -hmm. think that the Fowler syndrome has stemmed from shingles shingles attacking your nerves yeah. and my shingles are right close to sort of my bladder uh, again groin area 
so they do think that that's sort of where my Fowlers has come from. Um, and I was catheterized there and then, like urethrally, to just drain the contents of my bladder. Um, I was told that once the shingles are gone, that, you know, the nerve damage, again, shingles attacking nerves, that nerve damage is probably why I wasn't weeing. The hospital at the time didn't even know about Fowlers, neither did I. Obviously, this was very, you know, in the at the beginning. Um, so they were just treating it as sort of, you know, temporary nerve damage and my wee again eventually. Um, but I was taught to ISC, so put catheters up myself. So you use a little mirror and then a small catheter. And when you go to the toilet, you kind of find your urethra, which is your wee hole, and you just pop it up and then wee. But because my bladder um, was so damaged and my urethral muscles were, my urethra was really tight. And that's a really um, big symptom of Fowler's is a real tightening of the urethral muscles. So I was trying to put these catheters up. They were getting stuck and, you know, it was awful at the beginning. Um, and they couldn't understand why the hospital I was in, I mean, we're going back 15 years now. Um, they were sort of saying, well, this shouldn't be happening. You should just be able to catheterize really easily. Like, I don't yeah. get it. So my mom, um, she was a midwife at that hospital and she'd done lots of research, like worrying about me, sort of Googling and looking up things. And she said, Aoife, you know, I think you might have this thing called Fowler's syndrome. So we looked at trying to get some testing and we spoke to my consultant and arranged to go up to London. They've got a private, um, uh, well, it was private at the time, but I think it's NHS now, a clinic up in London where you can go and have all the Fowler's testing done and chat to medics and professors and everyone who's worked with uh, Claire Fowler, Professor Claire Fowler who founded Fowler's mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of stemming it's her baby and then she's passed it on to other professors and they've kept the clinic going so we went up there and sure enough I had Fowler's syndrome and quite a strong variation of it as well they used all my recordings of my testings and um, they asked they keep them because they hadn't seen at the time uh, a strength of Fowler's like mine in such a young girl wow yeah and also yeah. at 16 which is like it's such a formative and awkward age for anything like to happen as a teenager it must have been like I can only imagine what that must have been like especially around your bladder area because I think as humans and as people we can get quite shy when we talk about toileting yes and and it's something that actually we kind of need to talk about a bit more so that we can understand when there is an issue like like my best friend and my mum laugh at me because I went through a phase of texting them every time I did a poo. <laughs> and they were like, why are you telling me? And I was like, look, if something happens, at least I've got a track record of like when I last went. So like, I know that it's you guys that are getting it, but like I'm, I'm doing this for myself. I love that though. That's brilliant. Like normalizing again, like it's crazy because, um, Obviously, I run an online platform, B is for Bladder. It's a community for those that struggle with, with bladder illness in particular. But um, we see so much more out there for bowel now. Uh, yes, it's still probably not spoken about as much as it needs to be. But they always say there's like a taboo around poo. And I'm like, I see so many people online talking about their colostomy bags and bowel. But I yeah. rarely see, or not as many, talk about bladder. And it's crazy. It's like there's a bigger taboo around weed than there is poo these days. I don't get it. So I'm here to break all that with what I'm doing. I'm trying to like, you know, change the narrative and um, yeah, let's talk about our toilet habits, poo or wee, either way, let's let's keep it in, in the conversation. It's important. And I also think as women particularly, because when we need to go, we need to go. We yeah. don't have that ability because it's obviously like guys have a bit different, but with females particularly, like 
it must it's such a difficult like area to navigate because I've been in so many situations where I've been like oh my gosh if I don't go now I'm gonna wee myself like it's gonna happen and like it's gonna happen in front of a load of people and I need to run and the amount of times that I've had to like sprint to a toilet is absolutely ridiculous and the fact that we don't have these conversations sometimes is absolutely wild yeah I agree I totally agree it's 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 crazy um and also I think that like with me sort of having, I've got a super pubic catheter now, so it comes out of my stomach. There's an indwelling catheter that stays there all the mm-hmm. time. So I don't have to catheterize urethrally because that's where the issue lies is my urethral muscles too yeah. tight. Um, and I have like leaks often. So like I'll be at work, I'm a primary school teacher and I'll be at work and I'll just have like a major leak in the classroom. And it's like, oh, so I've tried to really normalize it on that level with kids yeah. as well. Sort of say, oh, Miss Madden's bladder's leaked. And she's just got to go and change it. Her yeah. <laughs> you know? Because I think that, again, if, if we kind of normalize it from, from a child level, or, you know, at, from that age, if we start yeah. normalizing that chat then they're going to grow up aren't they you know as adults who think you know what not everyone's the same and that's okay yes very much this I always think that when we start to talk about disability like when I look back when I was at school there was absolutely no conversation around disability there was no conversation about anything that was out of the ordinary it was men and men women are women women have blonde hair and blue eyes and work in the kitchen and men do like some form of banking job now obviously times have changed an awful lot since then and they have changed you know so drastically but actually like disability was never mentioned and I was a disabled child like I was born with my disability so someone should have been like just to let you know like you are different and that's okay but you're still perfect you're still valid but that conversation was never had so I actually 110% agree with you and I think it's so fab as well that you know you're, you're making it normal for your students because I don't know what my life would have been like had I had a disabled teacher because I, yeah. I never I never saw that. So I didn't really know what was, you know, able for me. And yeah. it's so good that you're just being so upfront and so honest because I think the next generation need that. And like how like how good is that? Like how like how perfect is that to be able to make other people realise that if they're just a little bit different, then it's completely fine because we're all actually freaks absolutely 100 percent, yeah and I mean my niece Caitlin she's hilarious because she loves obviously I'm close with her so she'd come into the bathroom with me let's say at my house whatever and she'd be looking mm. on my lips in the mirror and all that jazz um and it, I, I'm like right I'm gonna go for a wee now uh she thinks it's like an absolute superpower she's like can I watch can I watch because obviously <laughs> I'm just getting a tube out and standing there I don't need to yeah. sit on the loo um so yeah and normalizing that level is just so so important we at Be Is The Bladder on, on my online community we made um we made like a series of Barbie dolls with super pubic catheters oh I love that yeah because I was like imagine having a toy as a child that you know had like you were saying you were born with a disability so imagine having a toy that represented you yeah I mean incredible yeah I think that's so brilliant because I think you know Lego have just brought out their limb difference character I think it's autumn I think that's the name I'm pretty sure it is yeah I saw it I'm like I walked I was walking um down Fifth Avenue in New York oh, listen to me I sound like such a globetrotter walking down Fifth <laughs> Avenue in New York. and I was walking by like I wasn't going into the Lego store but you walk past the Lego store and like, this massive giant character was there with a limb difference and I like, I burst out crying and this was only like a month ago and I, I was literally there and I was like oh my goodness and this woman who they were queuing for something god knows what and this woman was like are you okay and I was like clearly not <laughs> <laughs> 
But it was the first time I'd ever seen a toy that looked like me. Yeah. And like how I and like, you know, I'm not a child. Like I don't need toys in my life anymore. Well, you know, depends what type of toy it is, but you know. <laughs> but I don't need that. But imagine small version of me like little brooke would have loved to have seen that and would have loved to have seen that she was on fifth avenue and that representation so i think that that's like the most magical thing that you can do oh my gosh 100 percent, definitely um i really really hope that you know that carries on as well because i think it's great that companies like lego are jumping into that but like mm. a lot of stuff i see online there's a woman that makes bears and she'll like mm. do like a teddy bear with a colostomy bag or a teddy bear with catheters she does them now yeah um, teddy bear with you know lines in for pe- children who are having sort of treatment IV often yeah. and a line in the teddy bear um, and I think that that's great but like we want mainstream companies like Lego yeah. which is brilliant to jump on because we don't want to think we've got to go to a special woman to have our special toy made yeah Do you know? exactly that exactly that. you're put into a box again aren't you then rather than it being sort of normalized every- normalized yeah yeah so for you at 16, what was that experience like to suddenly be landed with a disability? Because as I said, like it's such a formative age. It's an awkward age for anyone. Like you genuinely couldn't pay me enough money to be a teenager again. No. And then we... to be landed with a disability that is gonna, you know, ultimately change your life. And I don't I don't want that to sound dramatic, but I'm pretty sure it has changed your life. I mean, feel free to absolutely correct me if it hasn't. But what was that like for you? Yeah, I think, again, you you sort of struck on the age there. Um, it was a really scary age in life anyway, was you know. Yeah. We were just finishing our GCSEs and I had a place to do my A-levels and, um, like, at the same school and everyone sort of just wanted to do what their mates were doing and I was, yeah. I was excited to sort of go with all the girls to sixth form and all of that was going on. And then that summer, right, I ended up in hospital. So I did go back to college and do my first year of my A-levels. And then after that, things became so difficult with catheters and we were really not getting it right. Uh, again, my local hospital wasn't sort of very up to date on Fowler's syndrome, even when I had the diagnosis. It took me a year to get the diagnosis and it was a lot of fighting. And my mom and I were doing a lot of research and up and down to London to this clinic and, you know, begging the consultant here in Birmingham, where I live, um, to, to trans- like refer us up. He was really old school and sort of said Fowlers is quite a new fan thing because I think it's in the last 40 years or so. It's, yeah. it's a new disease, if you like. If you had it 40 years ago, people just would have said you were a hysterical woman. You need to calm down. Um, you know, you go, go and take some deep breaths and you'll probably wee eventually. It's just that you're stressed. Yeah. That's how it would have been seen like 40 years ago. And, you know, for me, yes, okay, it was a stressful time. Like I, I had shingles, at the t- you know, at that time and I was in hospital and all the rest of it would have caused some amount of stress. But even yeah. a year later, I was still not weighing. So clearly yeah. there's something like really not right. So my consultant at the time in Birmingham was really, um, you know, anti-Fowlers. He didn't really want to send me up to the clinic and it just took a lot of fighting. And I remember being 16 and thinking, this, like all my mates are just fighting to let their mums and dads like allow them to go to the park on a Saturday or whatever I don't know do you know what I mean yeah. such trivial things or they wanted the newest dress and top shop and they were begging their mum for 40 quid and had to do all the chores around the house or whatever it was whereas I was there like fighting with doctors to try and be heard and you know yeah. my whole future because I did one year of sixth form and things got so difficult with trying to 
manage the condition and by mm-hmm. school still sixth form I just couldn't couldn't do it I took a year out after that then yeah but I remember feeling like at that time oh my gosh my whole life is over like mm-hmm. my whole plan I wanted to be a primary school teacher at the time as well so I was thinking of my whole plan to be a teacher like it's just never going to happen I'll never get to university and and I feel like since then it's been fight 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 the whole way through yeah um you know still fight to, to get a place at uni because I remember in my interview they were saying you can't really teach in a classroom with this if you need to go to the toilet all the time you know what if you have a leak in front of the kids I said I'll just tell them about the leak it's fine oh, you know yeah. It, yeah it just it seemed like there was a lot of a lot of obstacles that I had to overcome the whole way through um yeah. so being 16 I think and having this in one way because if I had it from birth, again, not comparing and saying one's easier or one's harder, but if I had it from birth, I feel like maybe I would have, I would have kind of learned my coping mechanisms from the start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wouldn't have had to shift and adapt as, yeah. as, you know, big as I did as having it at 16. And again, that being quite a tender age, I'm 30 now and I look back and I just think, God, I'm so much more sure of who I am now and what I'm about. Yeah. I want to do and achieve right at 16 I didn't really have a clue and and then I was still navigating me and finding yeah. who I was but also trying to navigate this new world of chronic illness and ill health and yeah yeah gosh that is it's a lot at any age but it's like particularly 16 like you're an awkward teenager like yeah. show me anybody at 16 who really knows themselves who like 10 years later then goes oh yeah I'm the same person who I was at 16 like show me that person and I'll show you a liar <laughs> yeah, totally totally and I think it's really interesting what you said about how at uni they flagged up that this would be a really difficult thing for you to do to then go on to teach children and you know we talk about ableism a lot but that is a prime example of exactly what ableism is. And, and I was wondering how, obviously, like you're a primary school teacher now, you have your online platform, but actually how has your disability impacted your career and what has that looked like for you? Yeah, um, again, I felt like I was behind everyone else a little bit. I went to uni later than my friends did. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone's path's different, isn't it? And as you get older, you kind of like, you think, well, actually, like, I'm on my own path. I've got to stop comparing my yeah. path to everyone else's um but even that's hard in your 30s like some of your mates are getting married having babies maybe you're not doing that or some of them are traveling Australia or wherever and you'll think yeah. oh, go do that everyone's path is different so it's really hard to not compare I get that but trying to compare sort of at a younger age or trying not to compare at a younger age even what I find quite difficult because I felt like I was wanted to be doing it when yeah. all my mates were doing it um so uni came a little bit later a couple of years later than my friends went and then mm-hmm. when I got there um a few sort of like the deans of the university um yeah two or three of them actually said to me in a meeting when we had our first teaching practice so our first place in a school you know I really don't know whether you really need to get this hard thing because I don't know whether this is for you because um you know I really don't know how you're going to cope. How how would you, how are you going to come if you if you because I needed hospital quite regularly at the time as well. And mm. even now I have um, a GA, so a general anaesthetic every six weeks. Yeah. So I've had 130 something GAs at the age of 30. Yeah. Oh my god. You have a tally on the fridge door. 
<gasps> oh my yeah. goodness. But I have surgeries all the time. Hospital is my second home. Um, yeah. I'm always in and out of A&E or the, um, the outpatients too, where all the urology specialists are, appointments and things. So he just sort of said, and, I, you know, he was right in one way, but it, it, the way he executed it was completely wrong. Yeah. You know, sort of said that because you attend hospitals so regularly, how are you meant to be a full time primary school teacher? Like those kids need you all the time. And I've t- I, I, that really felt quite personal. And I, and I wanted to prove him wrong, of course. Then I was like, I'm definitely going to do this. Um, yeah. And I remember we, I said, Look, I want to have another meeting about this. And it's all right if my mum comes because um, she lives with my condition with me at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, You know, she's also a nurse background, so she can maybe yeah. just me of how how um autonomous I am with my condition now and how I can do so much with it myself yeah like I I go away on weekends away and I manage it fine do you know there's so many um examples in everyday life where I manage it fine so I can't see how this would be any different so he said no you can't have your mum with you on the meeting right so I said okay can I have my nurse with with me please like oh, my district nurse because she mm-hmm. might be able to inform you a bit better of what how my condition yeah. translates into everyday life or whatever so we brought my mom because she was my nurse she said she's a nurse right oh my god I love this so much Best <laughs> <laughs> story so we attended the meeting we arranged a second meeting to sort of fight for the fact that I wanted to do my teaching practice and really succeed yeah degree and we knocked on his door and he said oh hi this is your district nurse and whatever I said well actually yeah this is my mom she's my my living district nurse she lives at home with me so and he was like oh because he couldn't say no then because she'd come on a nurse capacity but she was my mom so she also managed to help me really fight my my case there which was which was great um and to be honest like in my career now that I'm eight years teaching now um I've managed full time until this year and because I'm awaiting a urostomy surgery to remove my bladder completely and give me a stoma bag um, yeah. uh, and, and I'm passing lots of stones and debris. I've had a bit of a, oh, a, another change in my condition, if you like, which has meant that mm. I've had to, have to reduce my hours at work. Um, but until now, I've managed full time and most of my employers, my head teachers have been brilliant. Um you know, they've, they've made adaptations where needed. So my classroom was, was nearer to the toilet. My last classroom was. And um, any routine regular surgeries, we'd arrange cover for that day. And I think I, I'm i very aware of my condition at work, as in mm-hmm. if I've got a surgery on a Tuesday, I'm usually back in work by the, by the Thursday. So I'll work Monday, I'll work Thursday, Friday. I'll have an operation on the Tuesday, recover on the Wednesday, and I go back into work by Thursday because... I'm very adamant to not let this affect, I don't want them to think, give them any reason to think Aoife can't do a job. Mm-hmm. She can't yeah. be, you know, because when you're a primary school teacher in particular, those 30 babies need you. They're your kids. You see them sometimes more than their parents see them at home. Yeah. You know, you get called mom all the time instead of miss. Like, you know, you're everything to those 30 kids. And I take that responsibility really, really, you know, um, I, I, I hold it in high regard you know that I, I take yeah. it easy. so yeah I do try and a lot of these surgeries that I'm talking about are quite small the procedures yeah. for a GA effectively um mm-hmm. you know if it was a big surgery I probably would need more time to recover <laughs> yeah. for those ones because I'm, I'm used to them they're regular they happen every six weeks it's just a change of catheter and they do like a little bladder MOT and um do, do a few other bits sometimes but nothing that a day in bed the day after wouldn't 
cure do you know it's just kind of and I, I really am very mindful I might have very low impact days on the Thursday and Friday when I go back to work like we wouldn't be doing PE running around you know <laughs> it would still be quite chilled in the classroom with the kids mm-hmm. um, but at least I've gone back into work and I've not you know yeah. I've really shown to them that I'm not here to mess anyone around do you know what I mean that I want to get up and get back on and, and carry on yeah so they respect that of me as well because they know that I'm not taking the mic or anything do you know that I really do want to yeah to get in and it's really important to me to still live an, a near normal life with all of this going on so I mean it has impacted my career to some degree because I've had to have very difficult conversations with people I work with at times yeah um, you know about my disability and and how it affects every day and again with it being invisible um it's hard for them to sort of see it so and understand yeah. it yeah um, but yeah I mean I've tried to really fight to overcome all of that the whole way through yeah and I think that that's what you said about you know because when you said that you go back in I'm like oh my god she goes back in after surgery like this girl's a fucking nutter <laughs> And then when you when you explain it a bit more that actually you know it's not like a, a super super intense surgery it's not like you're getting your chest cranked that's that's not what we're talking about here that makes sense and it completely makes sense and particularly when you've had your disability used against you for one reason or another regardless of what it has been because of there is an element of you that almost you're out to prove that you can regardless and it's almost like a massive two like fingers up isn't it like actually yeah. like you made the worst decision of your life you judged me on something that you should never have judged me on but here we are and I'm proving a point and the reason I bring this up is because I had this experience a couple of days uh, a couple of weeks ago and I had this whole thing and like if you know me and if you listen to this podcast regularly you know that I love CrossFit and I had a bit of a run-in with one of the people at my gym and they judged me based on what they thought I could and couldn't do, which, you know, wrong in their eyes. They'd never seen me work out before. But then a few weeks later, I was still like, I need to prove my point here. And to the point where I pushed myself super, super hard in a workout to ensure that I came first. Yes. Out of everybody in the gym. And I was like, haha, I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> also, because, you know, I'm, I'm really good at CrossFit. Side note, I'm actually really not that good at CrossFit. I just really like pushing myself. <laughs> CrossFit queen. yeah so I love that you it gives you that motivation as well because there is something to be said in turning like pain into fuel and a lot of people are very very against that and I completely understand why because you know some kind of pains are too painful to turn into fuel but then at the same time there are some types of pain that you know when someone judges you and, and you know that you can do it this is the big thing if you know that you can do something better or you can do it and someone believes that you can't absolutely turn that pain into fuel and push yourself to prove the point that you can do it because not only are you benefiting yourself and proving to yourself that you can do it but it also sets a precedent for other disabled people so that we're not judging every single book by its cover but actually disabled people are a lot more capable than than society believes we are and that's like the whole world over that's not just like for disability whatever so I love that for you. And I love that. I'm just, I love the fact that you took your mum. I think, I think that's hilarious. Like, I think that's so perfect because there's no way that you can argue with that. And particularly with your mum having a nursing background, she's going to be the person that fights for you the best. And that is just like, it's just so serendipitous, isn't it? Like it's perfect. <laughs> it just worked out perfectly. I just think that that bit there about pain and fuel, it's mad because 
yeah, okay, I have these like routine surgeries, right? Every six weeks, they're usually on a Monday or Tuesday. I'll go in, I might have one day in bed after. I mean, I am having just a whiff of the GA for those, like even though they are deemed sur- surgeries, they're done yeah. in and I am put to sleep. Um, they're very small in comparison to some of the, I've had large, quite big yeah. restorative surgeries done to try and rectify the damage that Fowlers has done in the past. And I've had, I've needed much more time off than that. So I'm not yeah. here to suggest to anyone to have a surgery and hop back into work two days later. <laughs> yeah. That's something that works for me because I know it's small. It's routine. I'm used to it. My sur- surgeon and I, I've, I've known him a long time now. Yeah. I know exactly what they've done when I'm under there. You know, it's, it's very small. Um, and it's very doable for me but there are times where that pain I haven't been able to turn into fuel like me reducing my hours now I'm part-time rather than full-time um my kidney uh went quite poorly last year after loads of different uh bladder stone and sediment problems Mm -hmm. and I was very very poorly I actually had to come out of work completely for a couple of months so I I couldn't turn that pain into fuel if you like at that point that body was saying stop you know you're too unwell at the minute and we've now reached like a fork in your road where you know you, your body's sort of thrown up another bit of a hiccup because it's not mm. a new condition so as I get older it will change and it will affect me in different ways and start to affect different parts of my body not just my bladder so yeah. I think it's sort of recognizing that actually maybe I'm, I'm not 21 year old either now I'm 30 and things have changed slightly for me and I might just need to adapt again for this yeah. change um you know, so sometimes, yeah, the pain and fuel thing, yeah, it can go one way, can't it, or the other way. For sure, for sure. And I think what's really important to remember is that, like, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be a fighter if you don't want to be. Like, if that's not in your makeup, that's not in your makeup. Don't feel bad about it. Like, not every single disabled person wants to talk about disability. Some people do, some people don't. I just happen to be one of the people who freaking loves these conversations and also likes throwing my opinion out into the world every now and then like if it's it's not in your makeup it's not in your makeup and you should never feel bad for that no totally absolutely I think as well like listening to your body is so so important and listening to Mm -hmm. you know staying true to yourself with what you believe do you know I think um that's been a big thing for me and I've learned that through the hard way because sometimes I've burnt the candle at both ends by trying to do suits like too much to prove a point to yeah. prove that I can do this, like you're all underestimating me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it, you know, with bells on and make it even bigger than you thought. Um, and sometimes that, that has worked to my, my, you know, detriment because I've ended up more poorly or something bad happened mm-hmm. subsequently to that. So I've definitely learned that the hard way in life that, you know, you need to sort of listen to you um, and your body and pay attention to that really because you know you're your longest commitment aren't you you've got to live with you forever so you need to look after this house that you that you're living in because it's really it's really really important exactly you're the longest relationship that you're going to have with yourself like that's the longest relationship you're going to have in your life regardless of who is in and out of your life you are the main one that's going to stay there forever (laughs) yes yes that's it very true so I wonder do you have a piece of advice for either and or probably both a younger version of yourself, so 16-year-old Aoife, do you have a piece of advice for her? But also a piece of advice for someone who's younger than you but has the same disability as you. Yeah. Um, I think to 16-year-old Aoife who thought her whole life was over at that point, especially that year that I had to take out a sixth form, which seems so small now in the, the journey of my life, but actually that was huge. Yeah. Um, 
it felt like I was like, oh, I'm never going to be the same and nothing, I won't achieve any of my goals. And I think, I think telling her that actually um, you will achieve and you'll achieve so much more than you, than you maybe thought you would. Um, and that this disability that you have been given with your bladder now um, midway through your teens, actually it might be a bit of a gift or, or a blessing rather than a curse. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to make your life harder, but it's going to make you a better person and you are still going to be able to achieve mm -hmm. with that. So I think that's yeah. what I wish I could go back and sit next to me on the sofa when I was having my meltdown at the time and thinking I'm never going to be able to get through any of this. I wish I could sit next to her and just put my arm around her and say it's going to be okay. And, yeah. you know, you will have sustained relationships. And it was a big thing as well at that age, thinking like, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to tell like a future boyfriend? That like I've got yeah, this tube that yeah. and I've got this tube that hangs out my tummy. When I'm in underwear, you can so visibly see it or bikinis, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. How on earth am I ever gonna tell that person that you know I'll, I'll maybe want to have a, have a relationship with and and be intimate with? How am I gonna have this conversation? And I remember being so frightened of that. But yeah. a big thing for me in that realm as well is just sort of being as open and honest about everything with that person as you can. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you, the less you try and, um, oh, I don't know, be like, cover it up. Do you know what I mean? The more open mm -hmm. you are about it, I think the more they're like, oh, well, she's well open about it. Like, it's not that weird, then it's not that much of a strange yeah. thing. Fine. Because I'm there like, oh, well, it's just this tube and I just can't pee and that's just, if, it's, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't be here. So it's yeah. less. Yeah. You know, blah, blah. and I think if you say it like that uh, and own it then they've got no choice but to own it too because they, mm -hmm. they mirror what you are you know, do you know what I mean yeah exactly exactly I think that's a really important thing that you said about being really open so yeah. I know a lot of people who have not necessarily hidden their disability but not necessarily made it super obvious that they do have a disability whether it's on dating profiles or you know in their workplace and then all of a sudden people are finding out and they're like what like what uh, what and it's it, it, I can only imagine that being a really awkward conversation because if I met someone and then all of a sudden like three weeks later they've got a disability that they didn't have before I'd be like oh, okay like, but, like explain why you just didn't tell me in the first place like that would have been so fine and like yeah. I make it very very obvious that I'm disabled like it's everywhere <laughs> you can't really google me without knowing that I'm not disabled you know yeah so I'm completely with you in that I think as soon as you're able to own it and be super open about it I think it's only ever going to serve you in your best interest because it's a part of you like disability is a part of your life it's part of your life it's part of my life probably if you listen to this podcast it's part of your life as well so the sooner that you can be able to be like do you know what yeah I am disabled but actually it's completely normal and we're all freaks like every single one of us yeah. we all have our own things that make us tick and and you know disability just happens to be one of mine Yes, definitely, definitely. And I just think then it normalises it for the other person, doesn't it, so much more. Because, yeah. that, you know, you've got to, we've got to give credit to, like, people that we meet in our life that this isn't normal for them. It might be normal for yeah. me with a tube. It might be normal for you to, to get through life the way you do, do you know? But, like, actually, it's not normal for them. So it is quite normal for them to act like, oh, this is a bit yeah. strange. And that's okay, yeah, because it's a bit strange. They, they, might, they might not have seen that before. I always forget, and I, I've said this before, and I'm, I will say it again a hundred times over, but I always forget that disability isn't the norm. Like, yeah. I consistently forget that it's not, like, 
when I go out and I'm talking like with friends and stuff, I'm like, oh, like, right, art, like disabilities are my thing. Like it's not necessarily like an everyone thing. Whereas in my head, it's an everyone thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. We forget that. And I think as well, sort of, um, you know, you were saying there about advice to my 16 year old self, but also advice to someone in their teens, maybe or early 20s or whatever kind of, or even childhood going through a big bladder dysfunction like this that actually there are other people out there and like when I was 16 there was no one I was on wards with like 90 year old women because a lot of bladder stuff affects older women Mm. and they were lovely and they were so sweet and looked after me when I was first sort of going through all my you know testing and I'd end up with that big UTI infections and things on wards on IV antibiotics and that kind of stuff because the nature of living with catheters no matter what type of catheter you have you end up with infections quite a lot so a lot of them need to be treated with IV treatment so I'd end up on wards with older women who were all lovely but there kind of wasn't this like chronic illness community online then it wasn't really even Instagram it was maybe or if there was it was just in its infancy um there was a bit of MySpace and a bit of maybe Facebook but that was it and no one was really talking about illness the way they do now and I think I read somewhere like is it one in two of us can become part of the chronic illness club at any point in our life like you could be struck down by a chronic illness whether that's sort of externally or internally or whatever at any point so I think my advice to somebody younger going through it now would be reach out and search for your tribe because there are people out there now Um, and just be very selective like who you pick because sometimes I was added into Facebook groups in my early 20s that were just a little bit toxic it was almost like no one was sharing about when things go good yeah everyone was sharing about bad and I found that too much had to come out of groups like that so just be very like mindful I guess if anyone's watching this and (laughs) sort of you know who you who you follow who you add who you listen to because there are so many people you included Brooke that talk about all the I cans not just the I can'ts yeah and I think that is so important because me as a young person I'd want to see well can I still work with this can I still go on holiday with this what would what does it look like if I wear in a bikini and I've got a yeah. tube bag and um, you know oh gosh like do they make swimwear for me where would I go shopping for swimwear um relationships what's your advice with that you know there's so many everyday things that I think people talk about and highlight in a positive way rather than always focusing on the negative still speaking about their lived truth and I do have to speak about the negatives at times but the whole thing is about sharing all the things I can do whilst living with this so I think yeah big piece of advice to anyone younger and listening that um you know just be selective who you look at and who you follow yeah I think that's a really important piece of advice and the reason I think it's so important as well like all of your points are absolutely bang on but what I also notice sometimes in the particularly the disabled community is that there's a lot of people who are heavy on the inspiration porn which is great like amazing that we can do all these things but if you are making someone feel bad because they can't and they are able as in like they are non-disabled that's when there's a problem so I completely agree with exactly what you're saying really be selective with who you're following and make sure it's all for the right reasons as well and also maybe just like educate yourself a bit in disability like it's quite a lot of history there that we were never taught there's a lot of stuff on the internet find some leaders and like good ones and like have a little bit of a deep dive like it's a whole pool 
it's really interesting crack on <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and isn't it great that there is that kind of community out there yeah. now because at, when we were younger that there wouldn't have been we really we wouldn't have had anyone to no exactly kind of, exactly that social know, media has come so far in terms of representation because you can now find people who are just like you particularly yeah. surrounding disability and chronic illness you can find those communities and you can find the people that are gonna empathize and understand way more than those who aren't going through what you're going through yeah. you know and like get so yeah I, I completely agree with you I think social media as much as we know it's a beast we need to know how to be able to tame the beast and make sure that you're using it in the best way possible yeah because it definitely has its positives I mean yeah like you said there are plenty of negatives about it I see it even being a school teacher now of like upper key yeah. stage two I see so many things I think oh kids like you know once you type something online about someone or about anything it's there forever and if you delete it someone might have screenshot it or it's there in a as a footprint isn't it you know like a yeah. online um so trying to educate kids with it I'm like oh my gosh so I, I totally understand that um that you know it's got many negatives but actually I try yeah I try really hard to see it for all its positives too because I mean I'm awaiting a stoma surgery to remove my mm -hmm. bladder um it was meant to be last October but there's been so much with the NHS and things going on things being pushed back and whatever else yeah. um and in the interim I've managed to do so much more work on knowing what a stoma looks like and um, talking to people with the, with a urostomy rather than just a colostomy for bowel yeah. a urostomy for bladder how does that affect their everyday life how regularly are they changing their bags um you know top tips from them it, does the site get sore have they had many site infections how do I manage that all you know all these type of things that yeah. I think oh well actually um I'm now so much better prepared for my surgery because of social media yeah Exactly I've that. more through connecting with others than my my actual urology nurses are able to do for me because mm -hmm. they don't give me the stoma they can show me the bag and they can talk me through what it will look like and they can talk me through post-surgery life but they can't actually like tell me firsthand and social media has allowed me to do that which is amazing yeah. that's and that's the power of it isn't it right there is that you you now feel more prepared for something that beforehand you wouldn't have necessarily had access to first person experience and like isn't that amazing yeah like totally absolutely so I ask everybody <laughs> I have a feeling some of these questions are going to send me over the edge I um ask everybody about the weird questions that they get because as disabled people we can get very bizarre questions sometimes yeah. it's daily sometimes sometimes people don't sometimes people don't get bizarre questions but I was wondering, is there a particular set of questions or is there one question that comes to mind that when you first heard it, you either laughed or you were just like, where did that come from? Um, no, I don't actually get, I don't get that many weird questions. I guess I get questions around intimacy quite a lot. Like, mm. can you still, you know, be intimate with your partner with that? Like, how does that work? How does that, yeah. what that look like? Because you've obviously got a tube literally hanging out of your stomach which you have to tuck into your knickers or tape to your thigh so yeah. like what are the logistics of that how's that, what's that look like? <laughs> I get that I get that quite a lot online from like you know women sort yeah. of have been just been fitted with a catheter and that is totally yeah. legit like that is such a good question yeah, how, do, yeah. What, how does that work so I guess um that's a question that I always find like oh god I've got to go through that again with someone, which again is totally fine. I don't mind explaining it one-to-one -to, -one to somebody, but um, 
but yeah, so that's not necessarily a weird question, but it's a bit of like a oh question. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know I get sometimes like, can you still poo? And I'm like, yeah, it's only my bladder. <laughs> Completely <laughs> different part of the body. Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably about it, really. Some some people sort of just being a bit naive about the, their anatomy. But, but you know what? I get that because, like, I only know quite a lot about my abdominal anatomy now because I've mm-hmm. had it, you know. Yeah. So I've had no choice but to sort of learn how it all works and what interconnects with what, what doesn't, all the rest of it. So I kind of get that people do come up with questions that you probably think, oh, for God's sake, that's so, like, duh. You know, of course you're bladdering your bowel yeah. aren't linked. But maybe I guess if someone's not really given that much thought and looked into it, then they wouldn't know. That's, yeah. And that's such a great, great way of looking at it, isn't it? That sometimes, like, sometimes people just don't know because they just don't know. Like, we're not all Einstein. Yeah. What about you? Do you get weird questions? Yeah, I always get asked um, what happened. And that's like that's like just a generic question, isn't it, really? But I tend to get asked when I was younger, I got asked a lot if I was in a shark attack. And that was because I remember, can't remember her name. And I always forget her name. But there was a girl who um, her arm got bitten off as she was surfing. And that was like big headlines when I was younger. So people were like, oh my God, two and two together. You also have one hand. So that means that you went swimming in the sea and you're shot, but your arm off. And like, bear in mind, we live in England, right? We live on an island. It's not very big, but sharks don't really come to England. Yes. You know, like it's not, it's not like, it's not like a well-known thing. And so I got that quite a lot. And I was like, we are aware that we're on, in England right like shark attacks don't really happen like they do in Australia (laughs) and if they had I probably would be on front page news so the fact that you've not seen my face probably means no (laughs) yeah no that didn't happen oh that is so funny I feel like people are just obsessed with like the drama of something really big like that Mm -hmm. aren't they they want they want you to have this I guess huge um front page headline story behind behind what's going on but I yeah and I would agree with you because I think a lot of people can see disability as entertainment particularly if you acquire your disability because quite often something has happened or there's been you know an incident that's been tragic so there is that very very morbid entertainment purposes why do you want to know this story type vibe from a lot of people who ask and and you kind of know when that's coming because it's the way the questions asked and the company that's kept I think if you're not necessarily 100% comfortable in your company, then you need to leave because you know that something weird is going to be asked of you pretty pretty yeah. immediately as a, as a disabled person. Like it's it's inevitable something's going to come out in that conversation. So if you don't feel comfortable where you are, leave. And that's just good advice for everyone. <laughs> I think so. I think so too. That's right. And I think sometimes, you know, you are the company you keep, aren't you? So like surround yourself with positive or like-minded individuals or people yeah. that give you understanding and, and empathy and all the rest of it, because you want to mirror that in your own life. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's important to sort of keep those people and, and hold them tight, really, isn't it? So, yeah, mm. I'd say the same as you exit the company if it's not adding to your vibe. Yeah, exactly. I only have one final question for you and I know the answer already it's fine but I ask it anyway and that is are you disabled and proud? I absolutely am. (laughs) I am disabled and proud absolutely and I just think it's amazing what what gifts you get given from having this actually from having something that that doesn't work properly or doesn't work as it's meant to Um, Mm and I'm just like so I'm so pleased that that 
I can make the most of, of what I've you know what what's wrong and um and actually prove to others that there are so much more to people with a disability than they would ever ever realize so mm-hmm. yeah I'm really really proud to be a part of the community that does that because you know you as well brought your your whole thing as well as about you know showing what you can do and actually living a normal life with all of this going on do you know yeah exactly and I think I also think and I think about this quite a lot and I know I've just said I think about three different times but we'll get over that there is so much fight and power behind disability and when you think about disabled history there is so much fighting and so many people who have come before us who have fought to get what we have that actually it's an insult if we aren't proud of being disabled at this point in time like we have come so far and there's still a really long way to go don't get me wrong we still have absolutely loads of barriers to smash but at this point in time we should be proud of being disabled people because so many people have like put their lives on the line for us and and that's incredible yeah totally 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 agree um it's a little bit like that whole like women vote thing right my friend um She's always like, oh, I forgot to vote. She's like, not interested in politics at all. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't say I am hugely either, but I'm. my mum's always been like, Aoife, women fought for us to vote, you know? You've got to get mm-hmm. in and do your vote and do a bit of research before you go and vote and all the rest of it. So I do think that, um, yeah, it's a little bit like that, isn't it, with, with being disabled? Actually, there's so many people that have fought before us so that we yeah. have reform or we have change in legislation um, and rights and things like that that actually it's really, really important that we get out there and we, um, you know, that we sort of show off what that, all the work that they've done and continue to do good yeah. work within that, that, that community as well. Exactly. I've loved this. I've learned so much. Honestly, <laughs> it's been so great. Like, thank you again for giving up your time to come on the podcast today. I've loved it. And you're so welcome. I've had such a great morning. It's been lovely. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, thank you so much. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on. And I'm sure we'll do a part two at some point soon because after you've had your operation, I'm, I want to know how it all works. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Let's do this part two coming up. Pending. Yeah, part two pending. And also, <laughs> we're, doing, um, we're doing a lot of work within the NHS at the moment or trying to, to change uh, legislation when it comes to chronic illness because mm-hmm. at the moment if we've got a problem especially with bladder health our first portal call is a and there, there are no personalized passports for chronic illness yeah. that, that you know are bespoke to that person because even me with Fowlers I meet a lot of young women and and you know who have Fowlers too who have a different version of Fowlers to me yeah okay we, we suffer with a similar thing but what I say I find painful or hard they're quite okay with yeah. around um and I think, you know, personalised care that's really patient-centred, it's really lacking in our NHS at the moment. So I'd love to do a part two when I've actually managed to hopefully change something in Parliament one day. Watch this space. That would be yeah, the dream. Yeah, exactly. Watch this space. Well, it's been so great having you on and it's been wonderful to chat. And like, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me and we'll chat again soon. Yes, we will. Speak soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.